Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. Hi, lab mates and TGIM. We're back in The Change Lab. So back in December, I shared my New Year's evolution goal with you all to ditch the booze for the first six months of 2024. And I wanted to give you all an update on how this evolution experiment is going. I'm now six weeks into my six-month experiment. So that's, I think it's 47 days alcohol-free as of this recording. And I have some preliminary findings to share with you all. Before I jump into a discussion of the big assumptions or belief systems I've actively been questioning, let me quickly run through what I've noticed so far. I gave up alcohol with the hope that it would have a number of positive outcomes. And I was right. So let's walk through what's been awesome about not drinking. The first thing I really noticed that's been so great is that I just have more mental peace. Because alcohol is off the table, I don't have to deal with the relentless inner negotiations that come with moderating booze. And I mean, I'm surprised by how absolutely delightful it is to lose this inner chatter. I'm not kidding. Honestly, this may be reason enough to give up booze entirely. For me, I think no alcohol is just so much easier than some alcohol. For real. Another thing I notice is that Removing alcohol from my life has given me more clarity. I know this may seem, you know, hyperbolic, like I can see clearly now the alcohol is gone. But truly, it kind of feels like I've been driving around with a dirty windshield. And now that it's clean, I can see the real crap that's getting in my way. But, and this is really important, I don't feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of the work ahead. And there is work ahead for me. The other issues I need to tackle feel less daunting because this experience has increased my self-efficacy. It's boosted my confidence in my capacity to change. You know, if I can change this, what other seemingly impossible habits can I change? And I really cannot overstate how good this feels. So empowering. Feels great. I'm also less emotionally reactive In general, I would say that I've just had more emotional space to think and consider how I want to react before I launch in. And as someone with ADHD, this gets a double thumbs up. I would say that my family would also give this a double thumbs up. (laughs) I have felt an increase in my self-respect. Doing what I said I would do feels awesome. I want to walk my talk in life and the two people who always pick up the slightest inconsistency between what I say and what I do are my kids. So having them watch me engage in this change and really commit to it has just felt so great. And openly making this change has also sparked some very cool conversations with my children about how we can change the behaviors and attitudes that make our lives less than they could be, and limit our future. 
And I would say that the final kind of observation that I've noticed, which has been, by the way, a real gift, <laughs> like, thank goodness, is that the big waves of cravings and urges I thought I would have to ride out have been more like water lapping up on the beach, either non-existent or really, honestly, no big deal. In the 47 days I've not been drinking, I really have only had one real craving to drink. And that was in the Delta Lounge at the airport. But I just acknowledged it out loud to the people I was with. I just was like, wow, this is the first time I've really wanted to have a glass of wine since I stopped drinking. And it passed in a matter of minutes. But I just want to add, this craving actually wasn't out of the blue. It was very predictable. So I had been with my daughter and my parents at Harry Potter World having the absolute best time. I mean, lots of roller coasters. I went on the Hagrid's motorcycle ride with my almost 80-year-old father. (laughs) And if you like roller coasters, it was so amazing. But anyhow, he was on the motorcycle next to me holding on for dear life. I was in the sidecar screaming my head off and crying with laughter. I mean, hyperventilating every time I looked over at him because he had his eyes closed. It was so funny. So yeah, with all the love and laughter and frozen butterbeer and roller coasters, I was on an oxytocin and dopamine high. I'm like a massive Harry Potter nerd too. So it was just so much fun. And Because the body needs to recalibrate to homeostasis always, that's how our body works, the crash was totally inevitable. But I'm very happy to report that it was very manageable and I just let my body naturally recalibrate its biochemicals rather than artificially amp up my dopamine with a glass of wine to postpone the crash, which is what I would have done in the past. I just got through it. Like I was just sitting there being like, oh man, I feel sad (laughs) and kind of forlorn. Like this wonderful time with my kid is over and my adorable parents, I got to be with them. How lucky am I? And then I just had this feeling of sadness and it just went away after I just let it be. So that was a win, but I've been astounded by how few cravings I've actually had. I'm not saying I won't have them in the future. I'm just saying thus far, I've really only had one, truthfully. But before you turn off my borderline cloying, I have seen the promised land sermon here on the benefits of not drinking. Let me tell you what has been surprisingly underwhelming about this change. So if you read any Quitlet, and that's, by the way, insider baseball for biographies of people who quit drinking, you will be told when you quit drinking that your energy will explode through the roof, like skipping down the street, watch me go toe-to-toe with a toddler at the playground kind of energy. And I was very excited about getting this boundless energy. I mean, I'm a middle-aged mom of two kids, working mom of two kids. I feel tired often. But okay, in my experience, this didn't really happen. Not so much. So Yeah, I went into this new year with images of my newly sober self, like bursting out of bed bright and early and running to my neglected Peloton like an eager child on Christmas morning. And yeah, that has not happened. I'm not saying it won't happen for you, but I'm just saying I'm just as physically tired now as I was in December. 
And I've had no less desire to hit the snooze button. And I've not made much progress with early morning Peloton rides. So removing alcohol has just made me realize that I'm tired because I don't get enough sleep. Not rocket science, but since I can't blame my puffy eyes on booze, it kind of forces me to look at the real culprit. And that is always a good thing because as I like to quote M. Scott Peck, the very brilliant psychiatrist, the definition of mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. So removing alcohol has uh, required that I commit to reality that my sleepiness, (laughs) my tiredness is not about anything else other than my lack of sleep. You know, there's that. So yeah, in general, this is how it's been going thus far. Okay, so now let's talk about the change work I've been doing as I've been running my alcohol-free experiment. So you might be wondering, wait, isn't just not drinking the change work? Actually, no. Living alcohol-free is merely the experimental condition. It's just the condition I needed to create to actually do the change work. Questioning the accuracy of my assumptions about alcohol is the real work. I don't want to merely take a break from drinking for six months to prove that I can. I mean, I've already done that before, so I would learn nothing new. I wanted to take a break from booze so I could run experiments and test whether the hypotheses I have long held about alcohol and the role alcohol plays in my life are in fact accurate. All behavioral change is an expression of a mindset change. So if I want to transform my relationship with alcohol, I have to transform what I believe about alcohol. And as we all know, we can't force our mind to believe something. We have to experientially discover it for ourselves. That's how learning really works. So three of the assumptions I have that I held about alcohol that have made me resist the idea of giving it up for good are the following. One, Alcohol is a key ingredient to a good time and who doesn't like to have fun? So let's have a margarita. Two, all adults drink unless they had a serious problem with booze. And that is not me, which of course is related to my next belief. Three, drinking is a privilege and therefore not drinking is a punishment. And I'm pretty committed to making my life more awesome and not losing privileges. All right, so let's dive into my BS. Number one, alcohol is a key ingredient to a good time. I've unquestioningly held this belief at the very least since high school. Obviously, ragers are an ancient relic of my past, but the idea that alcohol creates instant fun persists. Whether it's raising a white claw at the tailgate or the surreptitious pleasure of having a margarita with friends by the pool while the kids are playing Marco Polo, if you want to make things fun, bring the cooler. In making this decision to cut alcohol, I was worried that life would lose its luster. Uh, Yeah, that was a big concern of mine. But the even bigger dread probably was that maybe I would lose that luster too. (laughs) Life would become less fun and I would become less fun. Going cold turkey from the elixir that elevates life celebrations and can turn a dull evening into a delightful one seemed daunting. I mean, cut back, sure, but let go of it entirely? 
I felt in some way I was also letting go of having fun too. And I can't claim any originality to believing the alcohol equals fun equation. Just take a peek at the definition of the word sober. It's well, sober, (laughs) serious, sensible, and solemn, muted in color. I mean, this categorically sucks. It sounds like ad copy for funeral attire, which makes sense because I was fairly certain my good friend Joy was about to die in dry January. Well, after collecting data for 47 days, I can unequivocally say that the idea that alcohol is the source of fun is complete and total bunk. I've had many belly laughing fun nights out with any beer in my hand. I may even have had a shot or two of any beer. (laughs) while everyone else is having shots at the bar. And my husband and I still have dinner at the bar of our favorite restaurant each week. It's like our real life cheers. You know, the laughter, the familiarity, the joy of everyone knowing your name is still the same. The only difference is that I'm sipping a zero proof beverage. My middle-aged mayhem has remained delightfully unchanged. Sober hasn't killed my joy because, and here's the beautiful thing I have learned. I mean, at a cellular level, which is so exciting. It turns out I'm the source of my joy and fun. And it may sound so silly, but this is just crazily empowering. That effervescent sparkle isn't champagne's, it's mine. So, you know, take that, Vavclico. This has been really exciting to internalize, right? To really not stress about this. Like, doesn't matter whether I'm drinking or not. I I know I'm going to have a good time. Ugh, that's such a relief. For me, it's such a relief. Okay. Number two, all adults drink unless they had a serious problem with booze. So yeah, another unquestioned belief I had was that everyone drinks unless they had a serious drinking problem or are Mormons or are those people who only talk about their Strava and O-ring metrics and therefore are like deadly, deadly boring. (laughs) But as is always the case with our lovely biased brains, I didn't notice how many awesome people don't drink by choice until, of course, I changed my mental filter. It turns out that one of the very cool and funny ladies on my hockey team has been drinking any beers in the locker room after our games this entire time. Who knew? Well, I didn't (laughs) because my belief that everyone drinks made it impossible for me to see. I just couldn't see it. And my favorite thing about this is that when I declined the post-game beer and said I wasn't drinking, she piped up with such like open-hearted enthusiasm. I mean, just so like, so enthusiastic. Oh yeah, I don't drink either. I haven't for five years. And then she was like, sober life is the best life. And at risk of, I mean, sounding like a sober evangelist, I think she might be right. But what I don't think but know is that I was wrong. Straight up, I was wrong. Lots of very cool, wonderful, and most importantly, likable adults unapologetically choose sobriety because it's their preferred way to live. And they didn't have a problem. They're not religious legalists and they aren't quantified life cyborgs. They have merely come to the conclusion that for them, the sober life is the best life. And number three, drinking is a privilege and therefore not drinking is a punishment. 
Oh, goodness. What a noxious weed this one is. I have a long family history with addiction. My grandfather was a world-class boozer, smoker, and quaalude popper who only got sober after destroying his family, his career, and his health. And while my parents' generation were the definition of square, my generation, not so much, were the perfect examples of the generation skipping phenomenon. I recovered from a food addiction through a 12-step program in my early 20s. So I too have struggled with addiction. Just drugs and alcohol were not my drug of choice, so to speak. But I have participated in interventions remarkably like what you see on TV and attended family week at rehab. And if you know anything about the family dynamics surrounding addiction, you know that it's predictably chaotic and dysfunctional. So one would think this student of the human psyche would gladly investigate the role of alcohol in her life. But alas, no, (laughs) no, I didn't want to. Instead, my glass of wine became the status symbol, not only of my, you know, quote, normalness, but also of my adultness. I, the noble moderate drinker, hadn't screwed up and lost permission to have this distinct and all-important adult privilege. Drinking wine with dinner confirmed my membership with the functional adults because I was the good and responsible child who hadn't been demoted for my bad behavior and sent back to the kids' table with the ginger ale. Thank you very much. I mean, it's so cringy. I'm sorry to my wonderful brothers. I love you guys. I'm sorry. I'm such a jerk. And while my siblings gave up the substances, I was the one who still had the childish relationship with booze. That's the truth. Investigating the belief that alcohol is an adult privilege to protect has kind of blown my mind. Seriously. I mean, it's not that I can't find much evidence to support this belief. It's that I can find none. Nada. I honestly can't find one way in which drinking is a true privilege that must be protected. But here's what I have found. No more mental chatter or exhausting inner negotiating is a privilege. Knowing that I love going out on a date with my husband just as much without a buzz is a privilege. Expanding my perspective is a privilege. Having my son tell me he's proud of me is like the biggest privilege. Not giving power to a substance that has deeply hurt my family is a privilege. Being less emotionally reactive is a privilege. Reaffirming my capacity to make big changes is a privilege. And being living proof that all these beliefs are total BS is a privilege. Astonishingly, the punishment has become the privilege. So yeah, I can actually hear my neural pathways rewiring in real time. And it's pretty damn exciting. But what I want you all to know is that this isn't really about alcohol. It's about our capacity to change. And in making this change and committing to my growth, I have stepped into the energy of our ever-expanding universe. I know this sounds woo, but just stay with me here, okay? The nature of life is growth. And when we're stuck, we disconnect from the energy that made us. Life loses its vitality and we lose our vitality. We start to believe the lie that change is impossible. And as our sense of possibility vanishes and our energy to create a new future diminishes, we lock ourselves 
in a wasteland of our own despair and hopelessness. And even more devastating, we start to believe this wasteland is all that life has to offer. That's what stuck is. We're like, oh, I feel stuck. Stuck is despair. But the moment you commit to making a change and take one small action and move one inch forward, you step into the energy of creation itself. And if you keep moving toward growth, you tap into this renewable, limitless energy. And what looks like a wasteland will start to look like a garden full of potential. I'm serious. (laughs) I'm feeling it. It's not giving up alcohol, but the act of making an impossible change that has filled me with this ineffable joy and enthusiasm of possibility. And this is what I want for you too. And I will leave you with these wonderful words by the Scottish explorer, William Hutchinson Murray. This quote is often misattributed to Goethe, but it's really Murray's. Until one is committed, There is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would come his way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And he's right. The moment you commit to change and step into the infectious energy of growth, you will start to come alive. All right, I will get off <laughs> I will get off my soapbox. Your lab work this week is to take a serious, dare I say sober, look at the change you have been contemplating and do the following short exercise. At the top of a blank sheet of paper, write this statement and question. So this is what I want you to write at the top of the sheet. I want to make this change, but I don't feel ready. What exactly needs to happen for me to feel ready? And then write down as many responses to this question as you can. And let me make this so clear. I don't know is not an answer. (laughs) You are not allowed to write, I don't know, right? It's not an answer, it's avoidance. And when you're finished, look at what you wrote down and then ask yourself this other question. If someone you love very deeply came to you with a list of what's holding them back from feeling ready to make a life-affirming change, and this list looked exactly like yours, would you sign off on it? And if not, why? I will put this exercise in the show notes for you because I really hope that you do it. It won't take more than five minutes and it will give you a lot of insight. And my hope is that it will wake you up a bit. So have a very courageous week. It all starts by putting the own up in grown up. For more dirt on today's topic, make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, 
There are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashaheinz.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.